Uh, welcome to another uh, Groipcast. I am Charlie Kirk's Teeth Groiper, and I'm here with Gibby. Hey, what's we, up? And we have our special guest today, Dr. E. Michael Jones, the chief editor at Culture Wars magazine and an author of a plethora of, a plethora of books, including The Jewish Revolutionary Spirit and something a little bit more on the topic of what we'll be talking today, Libido Dominandi. How are you doing today, Dr. Jones? Good. Good to be here. Excellent to have you as well. Uh, so today we wanted to give a little special treat to all of our young people that have been white knuckling it through the month of November, making sure they stay pure and chaste. And today's topic is going to be mostly about No Nut November. And then after that, we'll talk about some current events that have been going on. So uh, Gibby, if you wanted to start, I think you had a couple of uh, questions to get us going. Yes, uh, my first question is just getting Dr. Jones's thoughts on No Nut November, on this like new wave of young hip people really trying to embrace sexual morality and rejecting a lot of this uh, evil pornography. Right. I think it's a great idea. I think it's a sign that Logos is rising. Logos is rationality. Logos means taking control of your life and subjecting it to reason. And the main thing that people have to control, first of all, in life is their own passions. Now, you're, you're part of a generation that has grown up where pornography has been ubiquitous. It's all over the place. You simply can't escape it. And pornography leads to masturbation, and masturbation leads to slavery to your own passions. Now, this is, just didn't happen. It's not something like, like a mushroom that grew up overnight uh, because it rained. This was the culmination of a long plan of using sexual uh, immorality, sexual passion, or sexual liberation as a form of control. And that is the thesis of my book. It's called Libido Dominandi, Sexual Liberation and Political Control. The, 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 crucial, un, the crucial thing you have to understand here is something that St. Augustine uh, said a long time ago, at the time, right at the time of the fall of the Roman Empire. He said, a man has as many masters as he has vices. Now, at a certain point in history, uh, the, uh, you had the traditional understanding of that, in other words, if you want to avoid masters, you have to avoid vices. But uh, at the time of the revolution, a man by the name of the Marquis de Sade turned that upside down. And now what he saw was, well, if you want to control people, promote vice. And that's precisely what he did uh, during the French Revolution. Uh, and what we've seen over this period of time from then to now is more and more sophisticated instruments of control uh, based on more and more uh, sophisticated forms of technology. So uh, when the French Revolution was threatened uh, by the Catholics of the Vendée, who were marching toward Paris at that point, uh, the Marquis de Sade said, well, we need to incite passion, so let's display uh, women naked in the theaters. Well, you know, there's a problem there. If it's a big theater, you can get a lot of people in, but it's hard to see the women at that point. If it's a small theater, you can see the women, but you can't get a whole lot of people uh, involved. This was solved by technology. First by the motion picture, uh, and then uh, uh, eventually by internet. Uh, and that would lead us up to today, where we are to today. So what you're seeing now is a sense 
across the board among people of your generation uh, that this is a form of control. Why is it free? <laughs> because you're supposed to get yourself involved in it, enslaved to it, and this is their way of basically marginalizing a whole significant part of the population at a crucial time in these people's lives. Because when you're in your 20s, the main challenge is can I make it into uh, adult life by forming a family of my own? which means I have to be available to members of the opposite sex. I have to be able to contact them, make contact with a special person. And uh, the isolation that comes from pornography and masturbation will ensure that that will never happen, never happen. So this is a great development because I think people are starting to understand the true meaning of pornography and how it's used to destroy them. Yes, I've been a, a longtime advocate and participant in, in this NoFap movement, more than just like No Not November, just No Not Life in many ways. And I think one of the most effective developments has been this Coomer meme. Now, I'm not sure if you've seen this. It's a satirical image of your average porn addict. So he's all disheveled, uh, unkept hair, bloodshot eyes, a fake grin. I'm not sure if we can... Uh, maybe get this up in the chat or on the video. I'll put a link to a Rolling Stone article in the chat. But this meme has caused a lot of controversy. And this article at the Rolling Stone calls it anti-Semitic and calls it far right. I'll read a quote is, Coomer is a reference to a meme of an unkempt, skeezy looking bearded man in a white tank top with vaguely Semitic features. So what do you think about this backlash against No Nut November from all these big companies, big media companies, not just porn companies, but just the media in general? Well, first of all, we have to deal with the term anti-Semitism. What does this mean? Uh, historically, the word came into existence in 1871 uh, uh, in a book by a man written by a man named Wilhelm Marr. Uh, and the name of the book was Der Sieg des Judentums über das Christentums, the, the victory of Jewishness over Christianity. Uh, he was a, a veteran of the wars of eight, uh, the revolution of 1848. He felt that the Jews had betrayed the revolution. He was still a revolutionary in 1871, which means he did not believe in religion. He wanted a new way to deal with the Jews and what he felt was Jewish subversion. And he decided to go along with the, the current, uh, the zeitgeist of that time and say it was biological. So the term anti-Semitism traditionally means uh, the Jews have bad DNA and this DNA controls their behavior. Uh, nobody believes this anymore. Okay. I, I, I don't, maybe somebody does, but that's when I, when I hear the term, uh, when the Catholic Church says they reject anti-Semitism, that's what they're rejecting. They're rejecting some type of biological determinism. Okay, what does anti-Semitism mean now? It doesn't mean that. It means basically anything Jews don't like. They, they, they used to say uh, an anti-Semite used to be someone who didn't like Jews, and now it's someone Jews don't like. This is what it's become. It has become the cornerstone of uh, hate speech, uh, censorship. It has become the paradigm for all sorts of other types of censorship, uh, like homophobia, all these other type of things, sexism, racism. 
it's become uh, basically a way of shutting down every conversation. And I, th I think that's what, what's going on here. So clearly there's somebody out there working for some type of oligarch media who doesn't like this idea that uh, uh, these people are in a bad situation. I mean, the Coomer is someone who is addicted to pornography and masturbation and has ruined his life. But what we see now is we're, they're conscious of that fact. And once you become conscious of that fact, you don't like it and you start to move away from it. This is what I see here. The, the people who control the, uh, the media don't want you to move away from it. And so they're warning you, don't get too uppity here by using terms like this, or we will call you anti-Semites and that will destroy your career. So that, that's the way I see this thing. Yes, I also think it's uh, worth noting that the Rolling Stone was actually founded by a gay Jewish man, which I just find right. you know, very funny. And I think uh, Charlie Kirk Groiper, you have an article, right, about the negative effects on porn for your brain and for how you think? Uh, yeah, so there was a an article from Psychology Today, uh, I'm sure that raises some eyebrows, I'm sure, about talking about pornography, is it beneficial or is it detrimental? And essentially what they say is, is that because uh, this is an overall benefit, this is a good thing because it makes you more docile, it makes you more accepting of things such as homosexuality, uh, BDSM, things that are more perverse in nature, so you become more open and welcoming you're not so shut off and uh i guess what other people would say would be closed-minded and bigoted or something of that nature right i agree with that i agree with what they said that's absolutely the point of pornography and masturbation it makes you docile it makes you isolated and they want to, people who want to keep you docile and isolated will promote it i agree with 100 percent what they said do you think that's beneficial or detrimental for our society? Though? Completely detrimental. That's where we disagree. In other words, it's a bad thing. Do you, do you want to wreck people's lives? Well, this is one way to do it. It's probably the simplest way if you're a male to wreck your life, to get you addicted to this. The simplest way for a female is to have an abortion. And it turns out, hey, there's one group that's promoting both of these things. Uh, and this group is always a minority in any culture where it, it exists. And they're always interested in how they can control the, the majority when they're always a minority. That's, that's what's going on here. I also think it's fascinating to think about that we have sort of at the federal level, we have approved gay marriage and we haven't even had it for five years yet. And look how far we've been. Now we're talking. That, that's right. And I think, I think that this is coming out now. Uh, in this whole Charlie Kirk story, the whole turning point story, you have the same type of consciousness arising among the demographic that Charlie Kirk is out there to control. I'm talking about 18 to 24 year olds. So he comes along and he's going to give you an identity and he's going to say, uh, you're conservative. Okay. But he's also the Pope of conservatism. So he determines what it means. So he shows up uh, kind of unexpectedly with a, a black gay guy. And then the black gay guy is now telling the audience that uh, this is what it means to be conservative now. You have to accept me. You have to accept homosexuality. And then they're shocked when there's pushback. So people get up in the audience and say, uh, well, how does uh, anal sex help me to win the culture wars? And they're dumbfounded. 
Charlie and his gay buddy are dumbfounded because this is an uprising. It's an uprising of consciousness among the people that they were trying to control, and they don't know how to do it. So it blows up in their face. It's, go it's not going well. And so they go off. And then the next time they show up, now this is UCLA, and Donald Trump Jr. is there to flog his book. And the first thing they announce is no Q&A, no questions. Well, now it really blows up. Because what you're saying is we recognize that th there's this growing consciousness, and we don't know how to deal with it. So we're just going to shut down the discussion. So now you have a conservative doing exactly the same thing that the oligarchs are doing on the internet. So why is this conservatism? It's not. And everybody knows it now. So what are you going to do now, Charlie? I also think it's not a coincidence that the Groyper Wars are heating up in the month of November. You know, everyone's withholding their their lustful urges, they're becoming less docile, tie in with the article Charlie Kirkroyper mentioned, and we're like really rising up and we're getting this, not only this consciousness about like pornography uh, and how that controls you, but more of a consciousness of what's all going around you, the big picture. Right. That's exactly the point. Uh, a, a figure like St. Thomas Aquinas would say, uh, lust darkens the mind. I think that's absolutely true. This is exactly why pornography is a weapon. I, I brought this out at the beginning of Libido Dominandi, describing the Israeli troops coming into Ramallah. They come in, uh, uh, they take over the TV station, and they start broadcasting pornography. Well, well, this is a conquering army taking over your culture, and they're broadcasting pornography. Are they doing this because they want to liberate you? No, they're doing it because it's a weapon. And it's a weapon against the indigenous population to keep them docile, divided, uh, preoccupied by their passions, isolated, and so on and so forth. So you remove the pornography. Now you're removing the isolation. When the isolation is removed, then you realize, hey, I'm not in this alone. And you start to join up with other people. And then suddenly you're asking questions that Charlie Kirk can't answer. You've got a political movement started here because you broke through the isolation that pornography imposes on you. I think that's a great point. And uh, I just want to get your opinion on the, the groypers on a whole. These, these young people who are now politically awakened, politically active and energetic. Okay. The crucial issue right now is identity. Okay. You've been deprived of an identity. Uh, for a lot of different reasons. We cover this in the next issue of Culture Wars, the whole category of the, uh, identity. Who are you? Well, you don't know. And now, uh, for various reasons. Mary Eberstadt says it's because the sexual revolution destroyed the family. I'm saying it goes back before that to social engineering. Whatever the reason, you don't know who you are. So you've got all of these people now competing to give you an identity. So the, uh, Charlie Kirk, as we mentioned, you're a conservative. Okay, there, the main other alternative is being white. Are you white or are you not? And I'm saying this has to be contextualized. And I'm saying to understand this, you need to go back to 1954. Uh, the book is Protestant, Catholic, and Jew by a man named, by the name of Will Herberg, who happens to be a Jew. And he's saying there is, you don't become, he's talking about how do you become an American? How do you take on this American identity? 
you come over to this country, you don't speak the language, and for the most part, you lived with other people who spoke you like you. The ethnic neighborhood in the big cities of the North and the East were places like Philadelphia, where I grew up. Second generation, you're kind of half, one, one foot in one identity and one foot in the other. The third generation, after the arrival of the immigrant, the only thing that remains is religion. You've given up your language, you hang on to other things, but the main thing, identity marker, is religion. And so he's saying there's not just a melding pot here, there's a triple melding pot. And people become Americans, and you have, according to three principles, you have three ethnic groups based on three religions, Protestant, Catholic, and Jew. And I'm saying this is a real identity. It's not just an identity in the mind of someone who's trying to control you. That's what conservatism is. That's what, uh, when Hillary Clinton describes Trump voters as a basket of deplorables, she's talking about a category of her mind, not something that adheres in those, in those people. And I'm saying, okay, at that point, you had the government throwing all of its weight behind the other proposition, which is basically that race is the source of identity, because that's the year that the Supreme Court hands down Brown versus School Board, which is the anti-desegregation building uh, 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 ruling. At that point, you have a competing set of identities. The, the oligarchs want race because they then get to control the meaning of the terms. Now, what I'm talking about is white. I'm trying to explain, I'll try to explain this by saying uh, there are people who are left-handed and there are people who are right-handed. That's part of nature. No one's going to dispute that. The government could get involved and they're going to say, well, left-handed people have been discriminated against. Uh, the, the Italians call them, they say it's sinistra. That's the word for left. That means you're calling these people sinister. That's bad. We should get involved here in trying to right this injustice. Okay. And so there, at this point, the government starts adding meanings to the word right hand, to terms right handed and left handed, which do exist in nature. This is precisely what they did with race. And so the great triumph of the social engineers, I cover this in my book, uh, The Slaughter of Cities, Urban Renewal and Ethnic Cleansing, is basically to convince or force the Irish or the Poles or the Germans to move out of their ethnic neighborhoods, move into the suburbs and then become white because they control what it means to be white. If you're a Catholic, the Pope controls what it means to be a, a, a Catholic. And the same thing is true to a lesser extent of Protestant and Jew. That's a real identity. You changed, you exchanged a real identity for an identity that was confected to control you. So the black identity in, it was to give advantage to the black guy affirmative action, that type of thing. And by reaction, they created a white identity. And as soon as these people identified as white, they became racist. And as soon as they became racist, they were identified as racist. They were had no rights. And the culmination of this was Charlottesville, where you got guys who were, who, who, was, who was Richard Spencer? Who was he? Nobody knew about who he was before Charlottesville. He was appointed a leader of this group by ABC, NBC, and CBS sticking a microphone in his face. So the enemies of these people promoted their leader, and then the leader got these guys, they handed out spears, and he told them to charge the machine gun nest, and they got mowed down. And so now what you're seeing here is in the aftermath, there is a kind of 
uh, uh, reckoning that's coming. Maybe that wasn't, maybe that wasn't right. And I'm saying, no, you, you, you played right into the hands of your enemies by doing it. So to get back to your question, the main issue now with the gripers is who am I? And I'm saying the main way to answer that question is to say, ask who made you? And then you come up with a real answer. And that is consistent with the triple melting pot, which is, as I said, a sociological theory that I think best explains identity in America. I, I wholeheartedly agree with you. I, I've been uh, a big advocate of pushing for an explicit, you know, Christian identity for the Groypers. You cannot be a Groyper unless you believe in Christ, simple as. And I think when you look at people like Charlie Kirk, they don't put the Christian identity as a core identity of being conservative. It should be. They don't, though. That's right. That's right, because he's the Pope. Who's Charlie Kirk, Kirk working for? He's working for big foundations. I've already done a video on this. Charlie Kirk is what we call a Coke sucker. Okay, I'm referring to the Coke family foundation. They create groups like this, and then these groups then represent their interests. So it's the Koch brothers, it's a Jewish foundation. So Charlie Kirk promotes free market economics and support of Israel. And then the Betsy, uh, the DeVos Foundation, and then all of these groups, they are the ones who are determining the agenda. They will determine what is conservatism. And Charlie is just carrying out their ideas in their interest, not your interest, not your interest. This came out clearly in UCLA, where, where Donald Trump Jr.'s girlfriend starts berating you guys you're all in your mother's basement. So suddenly the whole, it, the whole thing blows up and suddenly, oh, wait a minute. I get it now. You're working for the Koch brothers to enslave us. Here I thought well, you were representing us. Now it's clear. Now we understand what's going on. Yes, yeah, so I think there's definitely a lot of hope for this truly Christian, explicitly Christian conservative right with people like uh, Nick Fuentes and uh, good friend of the show, Jake Lloyd, pushing this socially conservative, really Christ-centered message. I have a lot of hope for the future. So do I. And I, there's always hope in Jesus Christ. That's for sure. And if you don't have Jesus Christ, then you better have a lot of guns and money because uh, that's what they have. And I'm saying you're tapping into a power that is bigger than their power. So it's not just a sociological game here, which it is. I mean, I'm saying it is. I'm saying I went to, I went to the Arbaeen march in uh, Dearborn, which just has probably the highest percentage Muslims in, in the entire country. All of these people march and they all look like the standard Hollywood central casting view of terrorism. You know, they're all, they, the guys have uh, green headbands with, is, with is, uh, Arabic writing on them. Probably says death to America. I can't read Arabic. Nobody can. But, uh, uh, and they marched without any type of hindrance with the cops escorting them down the road to Henry Ford Park. Now, if, if Antifa had shown up there, I hate to think what would have happened to Antifa because there were a lot of those people there and they had more than that. They had a, a kind of protective shield around them because they said they're a religious group. Now, I'm, I'm not a Muslim. And I think that uh, the Jesus, I'm a, I'm a Catholic and I, I believe in Jesus Christ and I believe you get supernatural power from Jesus Christ. But I'm saying even aside from that fact, there is a kind of protective shield simply because you're a religious group in America. Whenever groups like atheists want to change the Constitution, they pretend they're a religious group. 
or the Satanists, like they found something like the Church of Satan, because they know that there's some type of aura. Well, there is a real aura here, and there's a real aura that is supernatural, but I mean, that's beyond the simple fact that in America, if you have a religious identity, no one's going to question it. It's that simple. Great point. Now, Charlie Kirkroyper, do you have any questions before we get into the fun lightning round? Uh, I think there was just one thing I wanted to add is that a lot of people talk about how if we want a, uh, you know, a Catholic or a Christian imperium coming from Mexico, then we should be for open borders. And I think one thing to point out is, is that uh, the the demographic or not the demographic change is one thing, but also if you look at the political leanings of these people that are apparently Catholic, you know, they, they don't believe in a socially conservative society. And I think that that's something that gets missed too, is that it's just because someone is Catholic in name doesn't necessarily mean that they, they hold truly to what the church teaches as their first and primary identity. And that, that might be a little bit off track from what we've been talking about. But I think, I think that that was something interesting that I heard in the past week or so, that a majority of, of the immigrants that come from south of the border uh, you know, have children out of wedlock, are, pro, are pro-choice, and uh, have a whole plethora of these social issues in the wrong direction, comparatively speaking, to social conservatism. First of all, we have to talk about uh, scale here. If you're talking about immigration of a certain magnitude, it doesn't matter who it is, okay? They are going to have a bad effect on culture. First of all, immigration in and of itself has a corrupting effect on morals. No matter who does it, it always has a corrupting effect on morals because most people get their understanding of morality from custom and custom is bound up with a specific place. So the best example I can give, it's not exactly the same, but the the black migration that was orchestrated during the 50s and 60s. Okay, now these were Americans. They had been here long before my ancestors because they're all black slaves. Okay. Secondly, they're all Christian, okay? And so they are in many ways close to what we have here, much closer than, let's say, a Muslim from from Syria or something like that, okay? But it had a devastating effect, first of all, on black morality. It had a devastating effect on the black family, and it had a devastating effect on the every area where they entered because basically they proved to be disruptive to the local culture. So I'm saying even even with these similarities, if you reach a certain magnitude, it's going to obliterate the, the local culture. And on top of that, it's going to create racial antagonism uh, because suddenly you're confronted with a group of people who are different. And the most obvious difference is the color of their skin. And then you're going to be polarized according to race. And it's going to lead to to conflict. So yeah, a situation, a similar situation happening in Ireland right now, you get a, have a government that's going to bring in like 300 Somalis and put them in an Irish village of 100 people. Now, it doesn't matter what they are. They could be Christian. They're probably not Christian. But you have that many people from that alien culture is going to lead to conflict. And it's not going to come out 
uh, it's not going to be uh, have a happy outcome. And I think the people who are orchestrating know that it's going to create conflict and they want conflict. They want racial conflict because then they can intervene and then they can uh, basically prefer certain groups over others and achieve a form of social engineering. I agree. I think that's very well said. Uh, should we move on to our, we had just a couple of quick questions that are just sort of uh, fun questions. Okay. Um, the first question is, who is your favorite priest? Priest? Yes. You mean alive right now? I mean, I, I've, uh, in history, throughout history, or, I mean, I have what, a, I, I go to mass at uh, St. Patrick's Church in Philadelphia. Father Cyril Fernandez is an Indian who is the pastor there. He has taken me to India. Uh, I've spent a lot of time with him, uh, you know, traveling around. Um, I mean, I, it, it, it depends on the period of my life or whether I'm supposed to limit it to my life or, uh, you know, whatever. I mean, that's the situation right now. That's good. I like that. That's a fine answer. Uh, who is your favorite pope historically? Oh, Leo the Thirteenth. Good answer. Uh, he 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 resurrected. He he issued Eterni Patris, which uh, stated that Thomism was the official philosophy of the Catholic Church. Rescued the Catholic Church from the philosophical confusion that had reigned throughout the Enlightenment. Uh, issued Testem Benevolentiae, which is basically. Uh, the warning about Americanism called Americanism a heresy, which the American hierarchy should have paid more attention to. And finally uh, issued Rerum Novarum, which is the beginning of Catholic social teaching where he takes a clear uh, position to Catholic church takes a clear position on both uh, socialism and capitalism. And in to a certain extent condemns both of them. Excellent answer. Uh, the, Gibby, did you want to ask the next question? Oh, yeah. So this one sounds kind of ridiculous on its face, but actually is a legitimate question. Are lesbians real? Okay, this gets to the issue that I just raised. Are we talking about a category of the mind or a category of reality? So it's like saying, is, is left-handedness real? Uh, and are these people sinister? They're two different things. So lesbianism is a, a form of behavior which has been weaponized as a form of, uh, and these people have been turned into proxy warriors. So it depends on what you mean by real uh, in the sense that the proxy warrior, uh, the, the, uh, the um, creation of this homosexual privilege, which these people have, these are all categories of the mind that have been used applied to this group of people so that they have a, a particular uh, effect in, ter in, in terms of society. I would agree. Uh, I asked this because I'm writing an article. It should be released by the time this interview is released, uh, where the primary thesis is that they aren't real in the sense that there's a genuine lesbian with a genuine attraction to women. It's all uh, either a coping mechanism or malicious indoctrination. And when you look at the Statistics, there's some very interesting statistics like the amount of lesbians who have exclusively heterosexual relationships is like 20%. It's ridiculous to see how this one category of people 
who are very vocal, you know, very prominent in the media, don't seem to actually have any genuine evidence to support their identity. Right. Well, let's let's get to the heart of this now. Lesbianism is a sin. Okay. Sin is the deprivation of being. Evil is the deprivation of being. It doesn't have an existence of its own. It's the deprivation. So what you're saying is you're creating your identity based on deprivation of being, on the absence of being. Well, to that extent, uh, you, you don't exist. You don't have that. That's not your identity. That's the opposite of your identity. That's your lack of identity. So in that sense, I, I, can say, I think I see what you're saying. Yes, that's generally the the conclusion I reach in the article. And uh, Charlie Kirk, you have any more questions? Uh, yes, uh, it's a two-parter. Who is your favorite Jew and who is your least favorite Jew? Oh. Now the question is, what do you mean by Jew? Do you mean someone who was born as a Jew and then converted to uh, the Logos, to became a Catholic, or something like that, or uh, sure, sure. You so you would, you would, because I, because what I'm saying is, uh, if you became a, um, if you stopped uh, your rejection of Logos and you accepted baptism, you're no longer a Jew. Okay, and I think this comes becomes clear in the gospel. Uh, when you read St. John, his account of the people of his day. The Jews were the people that rejected Christ. So I know Jews, I know Jews who for some reason cannot convert. I know Jews who have converted. Uh, favorite Jew, oh, St. Paul, was a courageous guy, you know. He, he uh, made the transition successfully, became a hero. It's hard to, hard to, uh, go surpass someone like that. The least favorite would be the one who is the, the, whose rejection of Logos is the most. And that depends on what you're talking about. So you have a guy like Al Goldstein, you know, look him up on the Google image search. He'll very come up with giving you the finger and saying that uh, Jews are involved in pornography because Christ sucks. Uh, so that's that's kind of the scale that you could you could propose here. Excellent. And uh, we have one last question. We have a somewhat some would say a contentious relationship with a previous Daily Caller writer called Scott Greer. And uh, he's a pagan. And we wanted to know what tips you had for us in converting him to the one true faith. Uh I think people are pagans now, not because they believe that Thor actually exists. I don't think, I don't think that that's possible anymore. I think that the main problem is your, is your behavior that you, you, you call yourself a pagan because you're in rebellion against the Logos and the Logos ever for 2000 years has been identified with Jesus Christ. So you have decided you want to live a law according to principles that you cannot reconcile with uh, moral behavior, and that's why you've adopted this identity. That's my that's my feeling, just in globally. I know I could give you specific examples, but I'm not going to. And so I would address that issue. I mean, the other point is you could talk about neo-paganism. I did a review of uh, Midsummer, which is about the revival of neo-paganism. 
you could talk about a movie like The Wicker Man, the first Wicker Man. Midsummer is a remake of The Wicker Man. And this brings up all these issues. You know, it would be a good way to start the discussion because that's that's what that movie is about. The policeman shows up. The, the island has succumbed to sexual liberation, and it's all done in the name of paganism. Well, paganism's an excuse to indulge in these uh, things that you know are wrong. And that's, I think, a good way to enter into the discussion, I think. Yes, we all pray for Scott's soul that he converts and comes over to Christ. <laughs> yes. Well, thank you so much for coming on and giving this interview. I think it's been great. Yeah, my pleasure. I enjoyed talking to you. Wonderful. There was, there was uh, one last thing. Uh, obviously, you've been working on the Logos book. I The last time I checked, I believe it was called The History of Logos and the Logos of History. And yeah, I, uh, can we I, get an update? Yeah, I changed the title. The book is done. We're editing it now. We're going to be sending it to the printer soon. But the new title is Logos Rising a history of ultimate reality. The, the inside of the book, part one is called the Logos of history. I'm sorry. Part one is called the history of Logos and part two is called the Logos of history. I retained it, but it's only in, in the inside of the book. So it's called Logos rising, a history of ultimate reality. You can go to culturewars.com and you can reserve uh, a copy. You can get a signed first edition copy. If you signed up, at, sign up at culturewars.com right now. I'll encourage all of our viewers to check that out. And if they want to uh, get that and sign up for culture wars. Yes. While you're there, do that too. Where <laughs> you, where you will have a, an in-depth discussion. I, I'm, 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 I'm really depressed about the situation in Twitter because the, the shouting starts before anybody's read anything. Let's a better way would be read it first and then start talking about it. That's a better way to do it. And that you can do that by subscribing to Culture Wars because all, all of this discussion we've had today is in much more depth uh, in, the, in, the, in, in the next issue of Culture Wars. Wonderful. Any place else the fine folks watching this can find you? Uh, I'm on Amazon. If you want my eBooks, uh, a relevant book would be uh, Ethnos Needs Logos. That's available on Amazon Kindle as an eBook. Awesome. Well, I'm Gibbon. You can find me on Twitter at Gibby's back and Charlie Kirk. Got anything to plug? Uh, yeah, you can just follow me on Twitter at TP Griper. And that's really about it. Was there any uh, final thoughts you'd like to give uh, Dr. Jones? Just thank you for the opportunity to talk. Absolutely. Happy to have you here. And uh, we'll be back with a stream on Saturday. And uh, until then, we will see you all later. Shark, future shark, yourself, talk yourself, useless.